hope I'm coming through okay. I got a thumbs up from Dave a minute ago. I did bring my Bible. Um, it's just that I've reached a certain age. And reading small print at a distance is becoming a bit of a challenge to, <laughs> to me. So what I've done is I've taken some paper and printed out the text for today on a big piece of paper. So don't worry. In fact, I couldn't go and get my Bible and wave it at you and tell you that I love it, which I do, if you'd like me to. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is one of my copies of the Bible. I love it. I love what God has done, you know, in giving us his word so that we've got truth written down here that we can depend on. It is fantastic. So I'm going to open it. Well, I'm going to read from this bit of paper, which is a... (laughs) And do, and try and do, by God's grace, I want to do the things that it tells me to do. There are some things in the Bible that it tells us not to do. So I don't want to do those things. There's a saying that we say, I'm going to do everything that it tells me. Or something like that. But I don't want to do the things that it tells me not to do. I want to do the things it tells me to do. So there you go. Okay, so we're talking today. Well, I'm talking today. I do do random, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty random sometimes. So um, if you find that um, all of a sudden I'm somewhere and you don't know where, where, how we got there or whatever... Do wave at me and I'll try and get back to the text as quickly as I possibly can. Because it's probably better if I do and keep to the text. Right, meanwhile, so this is Acts 11, verse 19. Meanwhile, the believers who have been scattered during the... Pers- this is the New Living Translation, by the way, so it's easier for me to read. Uh, the believers who have been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's dre- death travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them. I've changed that, actually, because in the New Living it says the power of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number of those Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord, which is fantastic. Sounds a bit like what happens in Dallas when Joshua David turns up, actually, doesn't it? (laughs) Or Indian conferences. And isn't it wonderful that it happens again today? Yes, good. Uh, So then Barnabas, no he didn't, sorry. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to say, true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. Just imagine that, teaching crowds. There you are at the football stadium or somewhere like that. And it's full of people and you're teaching them about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? This really happened. Well, not football stadium here, but um, this really happened. That's Anyway... During this time, some prophets travelled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and in one of the, in one of the meetings and per- predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, send everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. Now, I haven't got a PowerPoint this morning... I am willing to send you my notes, 
if you would like a copy. Um, I'm hoping it's going to be fairly straightforward to follow, uh, but if not, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Do you know, at the start of Colossians, Paul writes, We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which came from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your life from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. I just think that's amazing. God's truth, God's good news, breaks into lives and changes them. And that's what we see going on here. In in the whole of Acts, we see the good news of Jesus breaking into lives, bearing fruit everywhere. And this passage is another example of this. Actually, this passage is uh, a significant transition in the book of Acts. Because this is the first time that the, um, the, the good news has come up against a large Gentile city. Uh, up until now, there's been a couple of Gentiles saved that we know of. Well, Cornelius and his family, the Ethiopian eunuch. But this time, it's a whole new Gentile city. In fact, it was a big city. It was, I think, hang on, it was either the third or fourth largest in the Roman Empire. So, you know, in, the, in its day, it was pretty big. And it had a reputation in Rome, at least, for immorality. I'm not sure quite a, what a reputation in Rome for immorality really counts for, because any society that's prepared to kill people as part of its fun. I'm not sure that I would really take their view on morality too seriously. It's a bit like, I don't know, for those of you that here a couple of weeks ago when it was Andy O'Connell introduced the meeting, he sort of scored me on dress sense. I thought feeling like being scored on dress sense by Andy O'Connell was a bit like... <laughs> I must get this tape to him, actually. That, tape, that dates me, doesn't it? I must get this to him. It's a bit like the Romans saying anything about morality to somebody. But there you go, anyway... But it probably was a pretty immoral place. It probably was full of people doing their own things in rebellion to, against God. Just, and for a Jewish person who'd been brought up in a certain way, believing that there was a law and God had told you exactly how to live and this is the way you did it, even if you didn't live perfectly to that law, you had a good idea of what was right and wrong. And here's a load of people that didn't have that same moral code. And in some ways... I think that could be pretty scary. I mean, there's places that I wouldn't want to go to because I think they might be a bit scary. But God's got this city that he's sending people into. So what sort of people, what sort of people does he send to make this massive transition in the expansion of the gospel? Well, he sends in ordinary people. There's nobody with a special name here, as far as I can tell. They're ordinary people. In fact, they're refugees. They've run away. They might have turned up there in the clothes they were wearing and what they could carry. Isn't that amazing? It's ordinary people that are turning up. Not an obvious strategy for me. Nobody famous. Not one of the 12. You know, and Peter, I'm not trying to, I know God did what he did for a purpose. But Peter, Peter, you know, one of the three best, closest people to Jesus was the one that went to Cornelius. And... One of them had a meeting with an angel, didn't they? And Peter had a trance and uh, all sorts of stuff. All sorts of amazing spiritual things going on. 
with an amazing spirit. It's a bit like Steve Jones. <laughs> you know, we could understand Steve Jones being involved in a major breakthrough of the gospel. He's a godly man. He's one of the leaders. He's the leader here. It, we can understand that. That's not what happened here. And Steve is the sort of person that we know moves in the spirit, has dreams, visions, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, we could see that. Samaria, Philip, all right, not quite the same level, but he was one of the seven. And you had to be full of the Holy Spirit to wait on tables if you were going to be one of the seven. So pretty good, pretty good. He went to Samaria, saw a big change there. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, I mean, what a thing this was. An angel comes to Philip, tells him to go down on the, the, um, the Gaza road, I think it was, the desert road to Gaza. An angel came. And then at the end of it, he gets transported away here. It's a bunch of ordinary people that have had to run away. That gives us an amazing hope of what God's able to do through us. Like what does me. So what makes them able to do all this? What makes that transformation? Because I'm quite good at one or two things. And one of the things I think I'm pretty good at is (laughs) self-pity. I think I can be... Yeah, Helen's agreed with me. There you go. (laughs) So... It's all right. I'm not, I don't think I'm setting myself a stretch goal here. So I think I'm pretty good at self-pity. And to be honest, if somebody had said, you know, said, right, you're at least in jail, and you've had to run away, and uh, there I am in the clothes I'm stood. Actually, today these are some of my better clothes. I thought I'd put some nice clothes on for you today. So, but supposing I turned up today here and I've got my Bible, I've got my notes. That's not a lot to turn up in a new situation with. I could be pretty fed up about that. Those guys would have turned up with something a little bit better than, in terms of preparations to what I had. But that's not a lot. How were they able to respond to God, to God and do the amazing things? That, why did they keep telling people about Jesus? Why did they do it? What made the difference? Well, it has to be the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. It was so encouraging to get Gail. Gail actually sent an email around earlier in the week. So I knew that that was coming. But it has to be that sense, that presence of God in individual women and men that makes us able to do what we couldn't normally do. In my self-pitying score, I reckon I could have been pretty good at keeping my head down and saying nothing to anybody. These people went on doing the very thing that caused them to get, have to run away in the first place. That's amazing. So the power of the Holy Spirit does it. You know, the power of the Holy Spirit does amazing things in people's lives when he touches us. It transforms lives. It helps us. He helps us, sorry, to pray, to relate to our daddy God in heaven. The Holy Spirit enables us, flesh and blood and other bits and pieces, to relate to the spirit, the creator of the world and everything that we can't see as well. That's the spirit of the living God to do that. The spirit of God helps us when we pray. He helps us when we can't pray. And all we can do is groan because we feel so bad about situations or we just don't know what to do. The spirit of God helps us there. He gives us a spiritual language so that we can build ourselves up in him. Isn't that amazing? This isn't in the passage now. These are just things that I know the Holy Spirit does. It teaches us and leads us into truth. Helps us to know about Jesus Christ, our Saviour who died for us. He bears fruit in our lives. This is amazing, isn't it? That the Holy Spirit is able to take Graham Hipwell and start to bring out of this love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's brilliant. Self-control is something I'm not particularly good at as well, by the way. Um, I tend to get emotionally wrought or overwrought. But anyway, the Holy Spirit working on me can start to bring that fruit out. That is something I'm going to be held to account for. I can tell. Look at the way Steve Jones is. (laughs) It is going to bring that fruit out in my life as I walk closely with God and do what he asked me to do. That's, I mean, this is just some of this thing. The Holy Spirit enables us to do works of power through flesh and blood as we prayed for people and see healings. It wasn't it wonderful? Joshua, I'm sure he wouldn't say that he's a special man, but he's got a special God that works through him and saw those healings in Dallas. Isn't that, yeah. Thank you, Joshua. David. It's amazing what God can do through flesh and blood. It really is, because it's his spirit in us. And one of the things that he really helps us to do is he helps us to see ourselves as winners and not losers. He is making us winners and not losers. Victors and not victims. The biblical phrase is more than conquerors. More than conquerors. William the Conqueror wasn't called William the Conqueror because he came over here and had a go. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He was called the Conqueror because he took over the kingdom of this country. He was a winner. We are more than winners. That's what it says in the Bible. What it says is, I thought I'd written that verse down. But even though we go through all sorts of famine, persecution, all those hard things that do hurt us, they really do hurt us. Things happen in our lives that are painful. But all those things are, we are more, in all those things, we are more than conquerors. They achieve for us an eternal weight of glory. Paul says, all, everything, these light and momentary afflictions achieve for us. An eternal weight of glory. Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised you're going through a fiery trial. It's normal for Christians. That wasn't a verse I particularly enjoyed reading. But it's there. Don't be surprised. Because it's achieving for you something. It's going to result in glory, praise and honour at the day of the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. God enables us. The Holy Spirit living in us enables us to see that he is taking everything that happens to us and working it together for good, for his purposes. And it's for our good as well. Do you know, when we look at Jesus, if I was planning salvation, I wouldn't have done it this way. But when we look at Jesus, it looked like he lost everything when he died on the cross. It looked like he lost everything. And he did give up everything. But he also gave himself into his father's plan. And his father gave him everything back and the world and so on and so more. And he's brought us to him, which is what he always wanted to do in the first place. God's plans are good for us. They might be, in um, Hebrews it says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. And I think I could go along with that. (laughs) That's not fun. I don't enjoy discipline. But later on, however, later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been trained by it. So what we need to do, I suggest, 
is submit to God's Holy Spirit, submit to God's dealings in our lives, and allow him to bring transformation into the way we see things that are coming against us. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various times. (laughs) Sometimes the Bible says things that seem so counterintuitive that you think, either I'm wrong or the Bible's wrong. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Nobody else feel like that, I do. And um, the bottom line is, the Bible's not wrong. So it's me that has to change. So if God says, count it all joy when I face trials of every time, knowing that the testing of my faith produces endurance. It's not like we're being stupid, but we know that the test of our faith produces something for us in Jesus. That when it's tested, that endurance, when we've been tested, it says, um, produces endurance. So, and let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I would love to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I'm just not keen on the path to get there. That's, that's my challenge. But what we need to do is embrace God's dealing in our lives. And that's going to take the Holy Spirit in us so that we can embrace all that God wants to do in and through us. just want to talk very quickly about what the good news is. What were these people saying as they went? What was the good news about Jesus that they were sharing in Antioch? Well... In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, and Paul was the teacher that came to tell him how to do things right later on, we'll find. He says, I passed on to you that which was most important and what had been passed on to me. Sorry, I can remember it in a different version. It says, and now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. I, this is the good news. For I delivered unto you that, that which also I received, that Christ Jesus died for our, as of first importance, that which also I received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. The most important, as of first importance, the most important part of the gospel, of the good news. Jesus is good news in loads of ways. He brings healing, he gives us peace, joy, all those wonderful things in our lives that we really appreciate. But the most important thing, the most important thing, is that he died for our sins. As God, had predict, as God had said he would in the Bible. And that paid the price so that I can stand before my father, uh, before a judge, who is my father, but the judge in heaven, and know that I have a saviour. I've got someone that can look at all the, because of what Jesus has done, all the wrong that I did has been covered. And when I stand before my judge, as one day I will and one day we all will, I'm not standing there in my righteousness in the good things that I might or might not have done and mostly might not I'm standing there in the light of the good things and principally the good thing that Jesus did and then he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and opened up everlasting life for us that is the most important part of the gospel And that is the thing that transforms lives, not just for now, but forever and ever and ever. There's a lot of this stuff today, it seems to me when I was preparing, it's talking about taking an eternal or a spiritual perspective on life. As we face difficulties, what's a spiritual perspective on those difficulties? As we look at our lives and how we're going to stand in eternity, what's a spiritual perspective on eternity? So that's the good news of Jesus. 
that Jesus paid the price for the wrong that you've done. And if you say you're sorry and turn from the wrong that you're doing, he will give you everlasting life with him. And if you don't know that everlasting life and you'd like to, come and talk to somebody at the end because that's wonderful. And it's available for, for you for free now because of what he did then, which is really good news. Now, the other thing I just want to say, this is, all this stuff is coming from the first bit about the hand of the Lord, was, uh, down to the hand of the Lord with, with them. God gets involved. You know, these guys were there in Antioch, making good choices, telling people about Jesus. I mean, when I read it, I'm looking at it, and you're thinking, you know, they went there and they carried on doing what they were doing. I'm not even sure they knew that they weren't allowed to tell people, that, uh, Gentiles, that Jesus was God. It doesn't, you know, it's not obviously clear that there was an amazing revelation from God that they should do it. And normally the expectation would have been that they shouldn't have done it. It's almost like it was an accident, perhaps. But certainly they did it. Maybe God did break in and tell them that they should do it. But as they did it, it feels like God saying, I'm going to get involved. I like it. The hand of the Lord was with them. Now, the hand of the Lord could be code for God's power. In, um, in Exodus 7, it says that, um, God was going to use his hand to bring salvation and uh, outstretch his arm against Egypt and with his hand he'd save Israel. God's hand is to do with salvation. In fact, God's hand in general is very powerful. Um, in Egypt, again, when, um, when there were the various plagues going out on the Egyptians, uh, one, at one point, um, Moses, by the spirit of God, by the power of God, was able to turn dust into gnats. And the Egyptian magicians had a go at it. And they said, this is the finger of God. So it's not like God trying too hard, really, is it? <laughs> there we've got dust into gnats. That's amazing. Jesus said that the finger of God, if I, by the finger of God, cast out demons, God, God's hand then, is his power at work. In Acts, uh, wherever it is, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Acts 4, 29 to 30. uh, All the disciples are praying in Jerusalem at this point. He says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Isn't that a fantastic prayer? We want to be bold in speaking about Jesus and all he's done and all he's doing. Wouldn't it be great if the hand of the Lord is with us as well. It's a lot more convincing for some of the people I'm around that God is real and is interested in their life if they get healed. It is. (laughs) Some people make a fuss about it, but a lot of people are really impressed when they get healed. (laughs) I am anyway. I just just amazing what God does. Let's pray that prayer, shall we? That we are enabled to speak God's word with boldness. Now, we haven't faced the sort of persecution that these guys have faced yet. But let's pray that God enables us to speak his word with boldness. And that he moves in power to bring about salvation. Okay, what happened next was that the church in Jerusalem found out, heard about what was going on. And they sent Barnabas up to help out and see what was going on in a bit more detail. And um, I, think, uh, I think it's wonderful that all this stuff was happening and that ordinary people were doing the work of God. 
I think it's brilliant. I think it's great that if, um, if you tell your neighbour about Jesus, you don't need to ask a leader's permission. <laughs> you can do it. And if God's with you and you start a church, I think we might want to check out what's going on. <laughs> but if it's a good one, then we're with you. We want to support you in that. Yeah. I think so. I would. Steve does. So uh, that's two of us. I think we're the only two here. To- Look, we're the only two here today. So you go, go. Right? If you want to start a church, <laughs> you're on. I think that's great. I think that's really wonderful. And what I think is good as well is that the church in Jerusalem didn't sort of come and try and control it. They sent the best guy that they could think of to help them out. Barnabas, who they sent, was from Cyprus. So, you know, he's going to understand where these guys are coming from. He's going to know what they're about. He's going to relate to them pretty well. That's a pretty good choice. So Barnabas goes up and he starts to encourage them. Now, anybody know what Barnabas' name is? This is audience part of audience. Uh, Congregation, yes. There you go, son of encouragement. Isn't it amazing that the son of encouragement starts to encourage them? No, all right. (laughs) I think it's brilliant. that um, They send the right man up. He does the right thing in God and um, encourages them to stay true to Jesus. Our Our life in God starts by meeting Jesus. Our life in God continues by an ongoing walk with Jesus. And it's brilliant what he does. So he gets there, and I believe he was filled with joy, full of the Holy Spirit, strong faith. And many more people were brought to the Lord. It feels like this church can't stop growing, doesn't it? As they stay true to Jesus, more people are brought to the Lord. And Barnabas is there, and he's thinking, and he's good, and um, doing this stuff. And he thinks, what these people really need is some teaching now as well. I love good Bible teaching. You've probably already picked up that this is sort of flying around a bit. Bible teachers, it's brilliant when they talk because it's all very clear and you can understand where you've come from and where you're going. And what can be quite opaque becomes their gift is to release it so that we understand what God is saying to us and what God is asking of us. And it's brilliant. And Barnabas says, well, I'm good at this encouraging people to stay true to Jesus. But what we need is a bit of understanding, a bit of clarity. And that's fantastic. Because one of the problems, with you, if you're just inspirational all the time, is you might decide that actually God likes what you like and doesn't like what you don't like. Believe me, <laughs> you can feel like that. And teaching helps us get our thinking straight. In Romans 12, Paul encourages the Romans. He says, um, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So that's um, sort of the relational side of things. That's staying true to Jesus, loving Jesus. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. As we understand what it says in the Bible, we get our thinking straight about whatever it is that we might be dealing with. We understand that God's requirement for life is like this. God's way that we should view situations is like this, and not the way that we'd like to see it. It's important to get good teaching. We need the Holy Spirit. Uh, In that Romans passage, it says, test and approve. We need the Holy Spirit, but we also need to test and approve what's going on. Test it against the Bible, check that it stacks up, and if it does, we can approve it and go on and do it. 
That's fantastic. And what happens as the church grows again and they start teaching crowds? And then they get known as little Christs, Christians. Isn't that amazing? That it's a bit like a heart back to the beginning when God said, I'm going to make somebody like me, or a people like me, Adam and Eve, mankind, and they're going to rule the earth for me. Here now, there's people that the citizens of Antioch have decided are a bit like Jesus. And they're starting to take forward God's purposes in Antioch. God wants himself to be revealed through us that his purposes go forward in this place. So we've had people seeing themselves in the right light in the Holy Spirit, transformed by the Holy Spirit's power in their lives. We've had the need to continue and grow in love for Jesus and get our teaching straight. And then what happens is some prophets come up from Jerusalem. And I guess that must have been a real blessing to the church in Antioch. Oh, Steve's looking down now. I don't know. (laughs) It really was a blessing to the church in Antioch. You know, the prophets came and opened up a whole new range of possibilities. God loves to work with people. God really does love to work with people. And prophetic ministry is an example of that. Um, who's the, the first person named as a prophet in the book of Genesis is Abraham. The first prophet in the Bible is Abel. Uh, but the first person, as you, if you start in Genesis 1 and read through, the first person that you come across as a prophet named as such is Abraham. Now, I grew up in a non-conformist tradition. And um, we always thought of Abraham as the friend of God. Prophets are friends with God in the same way that pastors are friends with God, that evangelists are friends with God, that teachers are friends with God. The gifting that they have is such that God shows them things more than he shows other people things, perhaps. They might not be quite as good as explaining the Bible clearly as a teacher. Well, they probably aren't. But they've got this gift. Evangelists are brilliant at telling people about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and leading them into a relationship with him. This is what the gifting that God's given the prophets. But here it opens up a whole new range of possibilities for cooperation with God in his purposes. And uh, here, in this particular example, what happens is God gives specific insight into what not, would not otherwise be knowable, either there was a famine coming. Now, I wouldn't know that there was a famine coming, had God, and nobody else would have, unless God had shown it to them. But what, this, what that enables the church to do is to get... It wasn't just the prophets then that made the decision on what to do about it, but the church got together, and they decided to take a collection to give away. That's a brilliant church. Do you know, had I got told that there was a famine coming, I might have stopped my larder. I don't know, any of those of you that were probably around in the 70s, was it? There was um, a famine... Well, there were several famines in the 70s, but one notable one was toilet roll. Do you remember that one? Do you remember the toilet roll famine? <laughs> Does anybody remember? You must remember that. Yeah. There was a toilet roll famine, and people would buy, go down to the shops. They probably didn't go to Tesco so much because Tesco wasn't as big then. But they'd go down to co-op or whatever and buy up loads of toilet rolls. And, you know, around their home, their airing cupboard would be full of loo roll. 
because they didn't want to run out. There was another one for sugar. There were some other bits and pieces. But toilet roll was the most one that caught my attention, which probably says a lot about me, really. <laughs> caught my imagination. These guys didn't think we're going to run out of food. We'd better hoard it. What they thought is, there's going to be a famine. They're going to run out of food. Let's get together, church, and let's give it away. This prophetic insight is not for us to look good or for us to look better. It's for us to work with God to see his purposes taken forward and people helped around the world. That's pretty well got to the end of the passage. And I can just... I think that would probably be a reasonable place to stop, actually. But I just want to say that we should eagle out of the prophetic thing, because I summarized the rest a little while ago, out of the prophetic thing, we really do want to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that we might prophesy. We do want to be right in our teaching. We do want to be right in our living. But we also want to have the, the opportunities and the possibilities that God opens up made available to us by his Holy Spirit. And some of those are prophecy. And let's ask for it. And let's ask for God's hand to be at work when we're reaching out. And let's ask for us to be bold. And let's look to be filled with the Spirit so that we can be transformed in all the ways that God wants us to be. Amen.